It's been over a year now since In The Key Of Q launched. In our archive, you can find over 50 interviews of queer musicians from around the world and hear their music from rap Unaware of my proclivities to self-sabotage to country soul and rock. These episodes are available on the main feed. You can access them via the website at inthekeyofq.com or wherever you normally listen to podcasts. Hello, this is Dan here. Thanks for downloading this episode. If you're a regular listener, please consider supporting the podcast over at patreon.com slash in the key of Q. You will be helping to keep the series in production and more importantly, to give a platform for queer voices to be heard. In this episode, my guest talks about the social effects of major weight loss and his desperate escape out of small town Canada. He discusses the importance of safe queer spaces and most importantly of all, which soundtrack is the best? The Bodyguard or Beaches? Share your thoughts about today's episode. On social media, use the hashtag queer music or email me direct on podcast at in the key of Q.com. And if you've a moment, please do subscribe, rate, and review the show on your podcast provider. All that's left for me to say is enjoy the episode. People don't get that queer music is all genres. For some reason, we're all expected to be George Michael. Hello, I'm Dan Hall. When I grew up, I almost never heard pop songs where openly queer men sang about their truths, and it made me feel invisible. There were the occasional heroes like Jimmy Somerville, Mark Almond, and Andy Bell, but in the tsunami of 1980s heteronormative pop, I felt silenced. But these days, there are plenty of songs where I can hear openly gay men singing their truths, and this podcast is all about finding and sharing this music and speaking with the musicians who create it. Music helps us feel connected, feel heard, and know that we are not alone on our queer journey. You're listening to In The Key Of Q. This week's guest is a graduate of the Royal Conservatory of Music Vocal Program. Canadian-born, he has been a songwriter and student in music since the age of seven. He has toured and performed in several countries around the world, including Canada, Germany, the Netherlands, and Austria. He is a great advocate of queer indie musicians. He hosts the monthly online event, Queer Music Social, a networking opportunity for musicians and music experts from around the world. And also, he presents the weekly Twitch show, Quarantine. A big In the Key of Q welcome to one of our busiest artists, for sure, Mr. Corey Stewart. Corey, hello. Hey, thank you for having me, Dan. I'm so excited to be here. It's lovely. How's Canada today? Canada is stormy and gloomy and reminiscent of a London day. How is it over there in London? It's sunny and gorgeous, just like me. (laughs) Well, that's modest and that's why we love you, Dan. (laughs) I guess your mind has changed. I'm not your earth. I'm not your son Now I just can't meet your gaze Cause I know you know I know what you've done And my shoulder's cold Cause now I'm in control And there's no nowhere left to hide Yeah, I'm okay with it I'll keep up with all this Now it comes as no surprise Tell me little lies Save your truth if you wanna keep me near 
Tell me little lies, no more news. Tell me things. I grew up in a very small town. Uh, my parents were lovely and uh, that was all fine. Home life was great. However, going to school was always a nightmare. Um, I mean, I don't mean to bring it down at the beginning of the show, but uh, when I would walk to school, I mean, I'd get cigarettes thrown at me. I'd have gasoline thrown at me, um, gasoline before the cigarettes, just to make sure we could do whatever we needed to. Um, and, and like, of course, the F word was yelled in the high school halls, that sort of thing. It wasn't great. I would say probably around grade seven or grade eight, moving into high school, when I would walk around with my Spice Girl Barbie dolls, um, I decided that, you know, this was not the end game for me. And it was really important for me to get out to Toronto um, because Toronto and people in Canada are going to hate me saying this, but Toronto is the only place where things happen in Canada. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I used to actually, and I don't think I've ever revealed this to my parents. So if they listen, this will be fun for them. Um, I used to sneak on a via rail train, which is the name of the uh, train company that we have in Canada, when I was 16 years old, and go to Toronto overnight, go to a gay club, imagine, at 16, imagine, and uh, stay the entire night and then hop on the train and come all the way back home at like six in the morning. It was an excuse to, or sorry, an escape in a way from the the terribleness of the small town and sort of an eye-opening thing to say, Hey, this is what I can look forward to in the future. I know that I can get away eventually and have a life for myself where there are other gay people and the culture is there. What about people who would just say to you, Oh, for goodness sake, life is tough when you're young man up. Well, go fuck yourself is what I would say to them. <laughs> like, even if it doesn't seem severe to you, you have to realize that people cope and intake things in very different ways. So, you know, we can't, we can't sort of tell people how to feel. Corey, I think this kid of you, this kid version of you sounds pretty awesome with your Spice Girls dolls. What was he like? He loved a bag of Oreos, if you catch my drift. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was a big nerd. I would spend most of my time. Uh, I didn't ever practice singing because I hated rehearsing for things and still do, by the way. But I do it because it's, a, you know, a, it's your job, uh, darling. It's an <laughs> occupational hazard. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I would listen to a lot of Sarah Brightman, Bette Midler. Um, I would sit in my basement during the summers and watch, you know, Bette Midler in a rendition of Gypsy. I would watch Phantom of the Opera performances, anything that I could get my hands on that I was like obsessed with. Right. Oh, bless you, Corey. You were ticking all the boxes. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> I had like Bette and you Midler. even made some new ones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm creating my own niche. Why do you think it is, though, that we do get drawn to these staples? Because I grew up in a very liberal North London house, but I didn't have any gay role models around me in my everyday life. And yet I was listening to Bette Midler. I was watching The Wizard of Oz. I was mm -hmm. transfixed by Betty Davis in matinee black and white movies on TV. What do you think it is about these people that just draw us? It's almost like a secret code. I think the one unifying unifying thing is that they're all in a way outcasts or people who perhaps 
are a little bit left of mainstream. They're not always like accepted by the masses or they go through a lot of criticism in the press. Um, and they also, all of them seem to have a good sense of humor about themselves too. And are pretty self-aware for the most part, aside from Madonna. Sometimes I think maybe she could use a little lesson in humility, but I love her. I think for me, a lot of it was feeling like these were people who would have very little time for the kind of people who were bullying me. I can see that. That makes perfect sense. Yes. You want to set Bette Midler on your biggest enemy? We see what happens. <laughs> I'm beautiful, damn it. <laughs> It'll be a whole thing. Exactly. Although I'm still never quite sure whether to forgive Bette for Otto Titzling. I don't know. One year to the next. Sometimes I love that song. Sometimes I'm like, uh. But we got Oh Industry out of that soundtrack oh, so i love that song that song is like my favorite everyone goes for wind beneath my wings i mean glory of the love is great um but even uh what's down by the boardwalk i'm into you know so we got that soundtrack in my opinion is better than the bodyguard soundtrack but that's just oh me. totally who says yeah. it isn't sorry yeah, but who says it's not i know i know like i and i think it's mark shaman who worked on that um soundtrack and he is responsible for a lot of queer classic music so it was really cool to realize that i sent him a message on instagram and i was like thank you you made my whole childhood and he was like oh that's so sweet i'm so glad it wasn't just me who worked on it but yeah tell me little lies save the truth if you wanna keep me near tell me little lies no more news tell me things i wanna hear that's what I'm looking for Gotta need some more Tell me everything's alright Tell me little lies No more truths Cause they're easier to hear When I was a kid, there were a lot of times where someone would be a friend with you in private like, let's say your parents were friends, so you would hang out because your parents were hanging out. But then at school, they would be like, they would say the mean things or they would make fun of you. And specifically because you were gay or presenting as gay. So I think that that whole thing, um, at a certain point, as you're growing up, you're like, well, what's the point in hanging out with these people? Because, you know, they're, they're being fake with me. So I just kind of isolated and haven't stopped ever since, Dan. <laughs> I think there is an element of one of the real benefits of queer identity, especially when we're kids, is that we have to do some faking and then we have to make a usually a difficult decision to stop faking. Mm -hmm. And that's a difficult thing to do, but we do it. But then I think once we stop faking, speaking from my own experience, I then became very intolerant of other people who were. Oh, that's such I, we're having a breakthrough is what they call it here, Dan. Um, I, I do think that that makes so much sense because I really if someone's not authentic with me, I have very, very little tolerance and very like I can't. That's maybe why I hate small talk so much. Like I need oh, to get I down to the small talk. Yeah, it's the worst. Like I don't waste my time. Essentially, I kind of like to get out of the situation. So or let's have a, a chat that actually has some depth to it or we're actually speaking about something that matters. I don't care how you're doing. <laughs> like you know <laughs> it's like one of my pet hates is monday mornings not thankfully the place i'm working at the moment but usually when i'm in offices monday morning people are like how was your weekend what did you do and i just think you don't care and i certainly don't care what you did 
Do you know what else I hate, Dan? Now that we're going into it. When you go to a restaurant and someone says, oh, what are you ordering? You don't fucking care what I'm ordering. You're not eating it. So yeah. why does it matter? Actually, I Just never thought about that. That's get so on true. yourself about it. Yeah. It's like, I don't, I don't care what you're getting. I, I'm getting what I want. Enjoy. Stop anyway. asking for peer pressure. I can't yes. be bothered to give you any. Yes. Jeez. We're solving the world's problems today. <laughs> Here on In the Key of Q. <laughs> <laughs> When I was in high school, there was a point where I think I had just had enough and it was right near the end of school. Um, I think I had one more semester and I remembered that all of my music training could actually be converted into a collection of high school credits. So midday, I went into the guidance office with my certificates and I said, hey, what can I get for this? And will this allow me to graduate early? And turned out I had one extra credit that I needed to graduate high school. I graduated that day. And within a week, I had moved to Toronto because I was just like, enough is enough. I'm out. In one of our previous episodes, our previous guest, Vincent de Geronimo, he speaks about how I think his whole final term of high school was done at home because... He, wow. was under, he was under physical threat oh my from homophobic bullies. And sort of instead of addressing the bullies, they were just kind of, the school was just shit at it. And so he had to be schooled at home for his own safety, which is That's just shocking. Terrible. It's like removing the problem isn't removing the gay guy. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, you the should be removing bullies. the idiots. Yeah, I think it's weird that... I don't know that that would happen now. You know, I think that there's enough social consciousness now, but then again, who knows some of those red States in the U S it may not be the case and it would still happen. And what's Toronto like then? What is Toronto like for a 17, 18 year old boy? Like you, the train pulls in, you climb out with your suitcase, the door closes, the train pulls away and you are standing alone on the platform. What are you thinking? As much as I would love to glamorize this and make it a Madonna story where I arrived in the city with $20 in my pocket and it's not the case. It wasn't quite like that. Um, I did have my parents against their um, best wishes. They did move me up. I moved with a friend who I actually worked with because I had a full a full time job and I was going to school, but I was working at Blockbuster at the time, if that tells you anything. So the girl I was working at with at Blockbuster, we moved together into a one bedroom apartment uh, in Little Italy in Toronto. And it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was exciting to be able to go from such a small town, like the teenage pregnancy capital of Canada to Toronto, <laughs> you know, like it's, it was, it was really great and exciting and, you know, to be able to start dating and all those other fun things, um, which eventually would give me some great content to sing about, <laughs> you know, all of those years, I still draw on for a lot of inspiration. You did come from a small town into a into a city where suddenly you were offered probably far more queer spaces than you would have had back at home. Do you think that there is a need for them or is it just our community ghettoizing itself? No, I think that's a crock of shit. I think we need queer spaces. We need 
places where we can find people that we can identify with directly that have gone through similar experiences. I think if you eliminate queer spaces, you eliminate the opportunities for queer people to perform as artists, to uh, connect in ways that you can't if you had the straights fraternizing around you. Um, but, you know, even thinking about that, take away the queer bars. Where do all our drag kings and queens go? Where do, Blockbuster. you know, yeah, exactly. That's where they'll end up in the shelves of Blockbuster, memorialized in time. Um, I just think that's a foolish thing. And I think when you bring up the thing of clubs, like even gay running clubs and stuff like that, there's a certain comfortability with uh, knowing that everyone that's there can relate in one way or another to you. Of course, I can't deny that there are elitist parts of the gay community and the LGBT community. Uh, and certainly there's click clicks that happen within that. But you know, I think it's important that we have our own spaces because we deserve them after all of this time. You touched on elitism there, something I've always struggled with. Growing up, I was also a fat gay kid. Mm -hmm. That was always, and, st and I've never quite shifted all the weight. So I've never quite <laughs> fitted in. You with, and me both did. <laughs> I've never quite fitted in with the, with the body beautiful. And I've, I've got a, a challenging relationship with queer communities because I'm told, hey, you're welcome. Come on in. But all the posters never, mm. ever reflect me. Yeah. And I've always, I, in a funny way, I sometimes feel more comfortable in straight places where it's a very desexualized environment to me than I do feel in hypersexualized gay environments because all I feel in those places is fat and unattractive and invisible. Yeah, there, it, it's tough because there is this sexualization that goes along with a lot of these organizations. Like if you look at any flyer for anywhere, even today in um, Toronto for events that are now starting to happen again, it is. It's the slim white gay guy on the cover of everything, uh, fit, muscular, and that can be discouraging. I has a way of communicating to people that no other thing on this earth has, I believe, just because there's so many different things that music can convey, whether that's emotion or, you know, the ability to feel happy, glad, sad, grieve, all of these things can all be addressed within song. And it doesn't matter the language because for some reason, a collection of notes can make you feel something. And when did you reach that critical mass point where you went, I don't want to just be listening to music now. I want to be making it. When I had the money to do it. <laughs> 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 um, no, the thing is, um, I, of course, wanted to do it when I was in my early 20s and I wanted to 
create and make. And I've always written music, but of course there are costs associated with music and anyone who thinks that there isn't is foolish. I mean, there are some geniuses who can do it in their bedrooms and, uh, you know, creates great music. But I knew that I really wanted to um, put something together that was my best foot forward when I came through. And I wanted to make sure that it wasn't something that I rushed out or was not at the level that I want people to expect from me right away. I think people don't get that queer music is all genres and we have so many diverse artists coming out of the woodwork, whether it's rappers, country singers, but for some reason, we're all expected to be George Michael for some reason. It's just very strange to me. So Corey, in 2021, rather than spend the pandemic sitting on your ass watching Netflix, you've been overachieving and producing a 120 track album totally. <laughs> Not really, 17 tracks. Yeah. So, uh, in January, actually, January 22nd, I think, I released Tove, um, and it is a 17-track album. It was actually written over the course of three years, so uh, it has been a labor of love. Uh, it's presented in three acts because I like to overthink everything. The acts are Betrayal, Heartbreak, and Survival, and it's actually named after... Uh, one of my best friends I lost during the pandemic to stage four stomach cancer. So, and her name was Tova and she actually appears at the end of the album on a track called little one, which is a song I wrote for her daughter who was actually just only one years old when she lost her mom. So, um, it's, it's sentimental in a way because there's some songs about that scenario, but also there's a lot of fun. There's a lot of, darkness but also some levity and humor in it all and i won't be afraid in this world that i have made i know any fellow artist listening can relate to when you start to feel that song come together and you're starting to get those first vocal recordings in and you can feel the life of the song starting to come it's there's no other feeling like it. And then you listen to it 4,000 times before you actually release it. And then once you release it, you're like, ah, yay, it's out there. And then uh, you get about one day of excitement and then you're like, okay, what's next? There was a point when I was about 17 or 18 where I dropped like, I'd say 70 pounds in three months, which is incredibly unhealthy. And I'm pretty sure I had an eating disorder at the time. But uh, when I did that, the shift in people's attitudes towards me and the shift in the way that people treated me, even down to strangers, was so shocking. How was behavior different? What were people doing when you were 70 pounds heavier that they did differently when you were lighter? I mean, open the door for you when you'd like hold the door open when you're entering a building. Um, oh, you only have one thing at the supermarket. Go ahead of me. Uh, oh, hello. How are you today? Everything like all of the interactions in society changed and the way that people presented themselves instead of walking down the street and either being chastised or 
um, just not acknowledged at all, you were having people sort of smile at you when you walk down the street. It's it's a world of change. And it was such a gutting experience. You know, it's like a bittersweet experience because you're like, oh, yay, I'm getting all of this and it feels good. But at the same time, it's like, but at what cost? And and what does this really say about the world and people in general? It presents this conflict of like, oh, God, I can never go back to the way that I was because I don't want to lose this, you know, but then again, what is this? Is this really valuable? Because it's almost, well, it is superficial kindness and niceness and examining that and then looking at yourself and saying, well, why do you need this so badly? There's a lot of really (laughs) deep motifs here, but they're all things that um, have probably helped me reach into myself and tell authentic stories about myself too through song. How important is it to you to communicate in your songs or are you just out to entertain? Oh, communication is the number one thing. I think with every song I write, I come up with a concept. Like, for example, I have a song called Poison, which is, uh, as you call on your podcast, the gateway song for me. Um, And Poison is actually written around a quote that Nelson Mandela said. I don't know if he said it initially, but I know he said it at one point. And the quote is, resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. And I always loved that because I think a theme in my life is always sort of like, or at least as we talked about, taking in that poison and hoping that it'll go away rather than dealing with the issue. So in that song, I'm speaking to uh, someone that I'm trying to please and eventually just get fed up and tell them to drop dead. And it's done in a very cheeky way, but it's, you know, um, it's themes like that and and messages like that that I'm always trying to weave in because I love a story and I love when I'm not just telling people to raise their hands in the air like they just don't care. You know, like I want there to be some substance there. If I was to give you a platform for the next two minutes and guarantee that I wasn't going to edit a section and this was just going to go out raw exactly as you wanted. What would you want to say on it? Oh, Jesus, Dan. What am I to do with that? You need to go and listen to my music, fuckers, because there is a lot of great stuff that you've never heard before. Um, I think that Tove is an experience and something that I really, really hope people will invest some time in. I know 17 tracks is a lot to ingest, but it's important to listen to the whole thing from top to bottom to understand what I'm trying to say. And beyond that, don't just support me, support other indie artists and indie queer music artists. I think that we aren't taking enough time to discover and find these people. If you need help finding these people, there is a gentleman named John Ali who creates a monthly playlist that is all sorts of queer music artists. Um, The name of the place is escaping me now, but I will uh, let you know, Dan, before the end of this and you can do with it what you will. But um, investigate, look for more because there's so much quality out there and you really do need to 
to make sure you're finding the content that these geniuses are making on the down low that I assume and know will turn into mainstream things eventually, because I think the queer music scene is at such a place where the bubble is about to burst and you're going to see us everywhere. That is beautiful. And I have to say, audience, that was thrown on him without doing any preparation. And oh my God. I will stick true to my word and not edit that. But what I will do is place a link to the playlist that he suggested, Corey. So I'll make sure I get that off of you and we'll place a, a link in the Great. show notes. Now, our episode is starting to draw to a close. But before it does, what would 15-year-old Corey think of your music and also of the man that you've become? He'd love it. I know that. <laughs> I think only because all of the stuff that uh, I'm drawing on and the musical influence I'm drawing on is generally from that time period. I read somewhere that when you're in your 12 to 18 years is when you absorb the most music and that's sort of where your nostalgia and favorites come from. So I think that all the music that I'm making now would delights the young me. <laughs> what would you think about the man that you are? Oh, I think he'd have some trouble with parts of me, but I think overall he'd be happy. I think um, I'd probably be most surprised with some of the personality barriers that I've overcome and um, just barriers as a human being. Because I think being such an introvert, growing up in a way and then turning that into extrovert hasn't been easy but um yeah i think that and also just the ability to meet and and interact with so many amazing people um throughout my music career has been really awesome and meet people like you even dan like i, I think the young me probably wouldn't have uh jumped on those opportunities or been you know, able to do this like I am now. So I think I'd probably be happy about that. At what point did the introvert go, I've got to be an extrovert? Because that's quite a flip and a very challenging thing for the introvert to do. Because I knew I wanted things out of life. And the only thing, oh, the only way I was going to get it is if I came out of my shell, I suppose. Um, yeah, it, it, there comes a point where you should have got off the pot, right? So you either have to do what's required of you or pick something else. Totally, totally. Yeah. Now, Corey, we've been playing your music all the way through this episode, but I think we're saving the best till last. And that is, what would your gateway song be? The song which you feel best promotes your catalog and will really get people into your vibe and into your sound and get them streaming like crazy. So Poison is the gateway song that I would say people have responded to the most through my career. It is the lead single off my album, Tove. I actually believe I sent you, Dan, the version with Travi Austin, which is uh, Poison Retoxified. Um, and it's a really fun, cheeky track. And Travi is an amazing addition to this version because he adds another bit of sass to it. So, um, yeah, I think people will really enjoy this song. And it's the most fun to perform too because you get to give the finger to the audience. <laughs> <laughs> you mistake my week for kind. Try to get inside my mind. Take a number, get in line. 
You're not the sharpest in the shed. All of the cards are in my deck. So play with someone else instead. Just thinking about this poison taking space up in my head. And I keep going back for more. You're not a friend, you're just a threat. Now you got me drinking, drinking, trying to forget. Spending all my time rethinking, wishing you, you dropped it. It's like I drink the poison, wait for you to die. It's like I drink the poison, wait for you to die. It's my own fault, hit the asphalt, you're no longer by my side. It's like I drink the poison, wait for you to die. Little baby, don't you sweat. How can I make sure your needs are met? Is there something I can get you? Just kidding. Drop dead. Ooh, are you craving something sweet? I've been cooking up something good to eat, but we gotta be discreet. I'll be right back. Just take a seat. But who does all this punish? All this hate that's in my head. I wanna pin this all on you. You're not a friend, you're just a threat. Now you got me drinking, drinking, trying to forget spending all my time rethinking wishing you you dropped it it's like i drink the poison wait for you to Corey Stewart, thank you so much for coming on In The Key of Q and sharing your stories and your music with us. It's been lovely to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. Many thanks for listening to this episode with Corey Stewart. Remember to listen to him on the usual streaming platforms and find links to his homepage in the show notes. We have exclusive Key of Q content over at patreon.com. There you can join other listeners by supporting the show's production costs for as little as five US dollars a month. Tell me what you thought about today's episode with Corey on social media using the hashtag queer music or email me direct on podcast at in the key of Q.com. and rate and review the show on your podcast provider. It really helps. Our theme tune is by Pauline Nidu at unstoppablemonsters.com. Thanks to Paul Smith, our PR guru and digital brand manager, Olivier Name. And thanks to Kajen Kantha and Murray Lang for their support in making this episode. The show as ever is presented and produced by me, Dan Hall, and made at Pup Media Consultancy. And as Corey said, all of this is read right off the script. <laughs> I'll see you next Tuesday.